0: Thank you for listening to the Faith-Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the 16th Sunday after Trinity, October 2nd, 2022, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the gospel lesson appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 10, can be found on page 1626 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along, reading in Jesus' name, Luke 17, verses 1 through 10. And Jesus said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come. if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who, is, who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. To enter into the United States Armed Forces, a prospective soldier must go through boot camp and pass some bare minimum physical requirements. But to get into a special forces unit, those requirements increase drastically. I did some research on this this week in preparation for the sermon. Uh, and it was exhausting just reading. So imagine, if you will, these tests. For example, to qualify to be a Navy SEAL, just to get into the program now, you must be able to swim 500 yards within 12 minutes and 30 seconds, and then, after 10 minutes of rest, perform 42 push-ups within 2 minutes, and after that, you get 2 minutes of rest, And then you need to do 50 sit-ups within two minutes. And then after an additional two minutes of rest, you need to perform six pull-ups. And then after 10 minutes of rest, you need to complete a a one-and-a-half-mile run within 11 minutes. That's just to get into the program, not the final test. Okay? To be in delta force, there's a a similar physical fitness test, although I couldn't find any set parameters, but in addition to this, the the Delta forces list an endurance test that you must complete. The first endurance test involves a timed 18-mile ruck march at night in which the candidate is carrying a 35-pound backpack. After that, there is an additional, on a different day, not right after that, an additional 40-mile route while carrying a 45-pound backpack over steep and rough terrain. And these are just the parameters for the elite forces of our armed services. And it's evident that these tests are there, so not just anyone gets in. Now here's where we pause and we turn back to the gospel lesson. In a similar vein, Jesus describes being a disciple as a tough task. And while it may not be physically grueling, even though at times it will be physically grueling, especially during persecution, when we must bear maybe torture, or survival at the bare minimum in the underground church, being a disciple is an especially spiritually grueling task. And it was this in mind that we turn our eyes back to Jesus' words in Luke 17, And open our minds and our hearts to Jesus' instruction about four tasks that are required of being a disciple. And these four tasks involve spiritual fitness and endurance. So our first task as disciples is the task of teaching. Jesus begins the gospel lesson this morning by warning about temptation and stumbling blocks. But, but he's not just warning about the temptations and stumbling blocks that may be put in our path. He's especially warning us to be making sure we're not causing other believers to be tempted and not causing other believers to stumble. Now, there are two realities involved in this that must be acknowledged. First, as disciples, the love and concern for our neighbors is primary. That's the focus of the Christian life. Not only is this the primary objective of the law, but it's the focus of the law for the life of a Christian because we are directed by the law to our neighbor rather than to our own salvation, rather than to our own standing before God. As such, we should be concerned about loving our neighbor in such a way that promotes and secures his or her own assurance of salvation. To that end, the second reality of this task is that it is worded with teaching in mind. The specific type of stumbling block Jesus likely had in mind is one that would end in apostasy is the kind of stumbling block that would end in causing someone else to walk away from the faith. And in this way, Jesus would have us not only concerned about the faith and assurance of salvation of our neighbor, but also concerned about our neighbor's confession. We must not cause them to believe something that is untrue and would lead them astray. That's the first task of a disciple. Building on this reality, Jesus moves on to the second task. The task of dealing with sin. There are three brief commands that Jesus gives us as we are called to deal with sin as his disciples. First, pay attention to yourselves. Now this is entirely consistent with Jesus' teaching. It builds on what he's taught us in the Sermon on the Mount, that we ought to be concerned with the log in our own eye before we're concerned with the speck in our neighbor's eye. A large part of dealing with sin as a disciple of Jesus Christ is repenting of our own sins, is realizing our own sins, is dealing with our own sins. And so Jesus exclaims to the disciples, pay attention to yourselves. And yet, for many disciples, and for many of us, I would imagine, when we realize our task as disciples, we want to be self-appointed fruit inspectors. We want to go around checking the ripeness of other people's fruit. Jesus says, look at yourself first. And so, the second command, then, he gives us to be dealing with sin is insofar that our brothers or our sisters in Christ sin, we are called as disciples to rebuke them. This happens in two ways. This happens directly. If the sin is evident and observable, we are to approach our brothers and sisters in Christ with a word of warning and rebuke. We're supposed to do this specifically. We're supposed to do this lovingly. But this also happens broadly through the preaching of the law. A disciple of Jesus Christ always calls sin, sin. We never let it slide. We never brush over sin. We call it what Jesus calls it. But then our final task in dealing with sin is that we are to forgive sin. We are to be reconcilers. The point of rebuke, the point of applying the law to someone else in the church is not to smite them, is not to shame them, and is not to catch them in their sins. The point of rebuke is to bring about repentance so that we can meet our brothers and sisters in Christ with the gospel. So that we can apply the forgiveness of sins that Jesus Christ has won on the cross. And so in the church every correction we make every time we hold someone including ourselves accountable for sin every time we're involved with punishing or disciplining sin it must be done with reconciliation in mind it must be done in an effort to bring that person back into the church that's the task of a disciple and it's here that Jesus pivots from two tasks involving our relationships with others to the final two tasks of a disciple, which involve our relationship with God. So the third task of a disciple is the task of trust. Right in the middle of the gospel lesson, the disciples cry out to Jesus, increase our faith. Now this is the central event and the central idea of this gospel lesson and we'll return to it in a moment. But it's Jesus' response to this exclamation that we're particularly concerned about here. And upon hearing them cry out, Jesus turns to his own disciples and he says, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. The teaching for anyone who would be a disciple of Jesus, then, is this. Saving faith, as it matures, blossoms into trust. We must always be careful not to put saving faith on a spectrum that increases or decreases based on our performance. But trust, especially trust in God... Is something that grows as we mature as Christians. The message here for us is that as we grow as Christians, we also must grow in trusting that God will accomplish through us what he wills for the growth of of his kingdom and the spread of the gospel. The opposite of this is what happened to Israel as they approached the promised land. As after Israel had marched through the Red Sea on dry land and had encamped at Mount Sinai and received the law, God instructed them at that point and in the midst of all of those miracles to go up and take the promised land. And Israel in response said, well, let's check it out first. And so they sent the 12 spies. And 10 of those 12 spies said, nope. I don't think we can do it. It's a little bit too hard. And in response to that, God punished Israel with 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. The lesson for us as Christians is in light of every miracle God has performed in your life, And especially in light of the miracle of Jesus Christ on the cross and with the empty tomb in your place, we are called as believers to trust God, to trust that he knows what he's doing, and to trust that he will do it. And so a disciple trusts. And it is in that trust that we come to our fourth and final task that Jesus lays out for us that's the task of serving. Now this task is something we all often stumble in. We especially in our sinful natures want to be rewarded for our faithful service. We want to be acknowledged. But but Jesus teaches us that the outcome of faithful service in the kingdom of God is to acknowledge that we are but servants. We are merely doing what we have been called and instructed to do by God in his word over and over. Now the life of a servant as a disciple is both an acknowledgement of our humility as sinners who have been saved by grace, but it's also an acknowledgement that any good done by us is in fact good done by God through us. And so when the church works in the way God has designed the church to work, it's always God working. It's always God doing. And it's in that final reality that we can go back to that central event in this gospel lesson. In the midst of Jesus teaching about discipleship here in Luke 17, the disciples cry out, Lord, increase our faith. And they do this for one reason. Because they recognize that the task of discipleship is too big. In fact, we confess this as Lutherans. We cannot, by our own reason or strength, even believe. Much less serve. Much less follow. Much less trust. As sinners, we cannot do anything that God requires of us. And the disciples want to know, what are we to do? We recognize that all behavior that is prescribed for us as a disciple must come from God. But what is important about these four tasks is that what God requires of us as disciples, God provides for us in Jesus Christ. And so really, the task of a disciple is to focus on the Gospel. Consider that Jesus doesn't tempt us to sin or try to get us to stumble. Rather, Jesus preserves us in our faith by clearly presenting the Word of God to us, by clearly applying the Gospel to us, and by clearly giving us something to cling to for the assurance of our salvation. Jesus doesn't want to leave us wandering about in darkness. Jesus wants you and me to know right now that if anything were to happen, we are going to enter into eternity with him. Jesus also, in his word, rebukes our sin. He condemns it. Jesus never, ever ignores sin. He never, ever tolerates us. But Jesus, also in his word, and because of what he's done for us on the cross and with the empty tomb, Jesus forgives sins. Jesus deals with sin. Jesus stands in our place and receives the punishment for sin, and then Jesus forgives us. He really, truly forgives us, and he delivers that forgiveness over and over and over again to us. Jesus also calls us to trust him because he is God and because he loves us, and in fact, Jesus is the evidence of God's love for us. Jesus is the evidence that we should trust in God To care for us. He who did not spare his own son. But gave him up for us all. How will he not continue to give us. All things. But the big picture here. That ties everything together. Is that in our acknowledgement. That we are but servants of God. God himself. Became our servant. God himself serves us with his good gifts. Jesus demonstrated this as he washed the disciples' feet before he was crucified, but he demonstrates to this time, demonstrates this to us time and time again because he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross for us. The miracle of church every Sunday morning is that you come here not to do something for God, but you come here because God does something for you. He serves you, He gives you His good gifts, He blesses you with life and salvation and forgiveness. And it is in this reality that Jesus calls and invites us to be His disciples. No, it's a tough task. It's a difficult thing in a world that hates God to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It can be a demanding thing. And it is, by God's own admission, something that is too difficult for us to handle on our own. But God never calls us to handle it on our own. God regularly and constantly and abundantly gives us His grace and mercy. He walks with us in our Christian lives. He never, ever leaves us or forsakes us. And so in the end, the cry and the prayer of Jesus' disciples and us to increase our faith, that prayer is answered by the Gospel. That prayer is answered by the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That prayer is answered in Jesus' final words. It is finished. In your task of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, Jesus himself points you to his cross and his empty tomb and his eternity. And he says, it is yours.